by any means necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sean Blackman, here with Jackie Lukeman. And as always, we are your guide for connecting the political, social, and economic movements shaping the world around us. And today we're talking about Israel and NATO, uh, support for Nazis and neo-Nazis of different stripes, both historically and in the current moment. And we're very happy to be joined for this conversation today by Asa Winstonley, an investigative journalist and associate editor with the Electronic Intifada. Asa, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you again, Sean. Absolutely. And, you know, Asa, a little earlier this year, we had a conversation with you where you broke down how uh, the state of Israel uh, has actually been arming uh, uh, neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, And I got to say, I was gobsmacked uh, uh, by it uh, before sort of encountering it. But uh, you recently published a piece with the Electronic Intifada uh, talking about how Israel is still arming these same Ukrainian Nazis. Um, How is this playing out, Asa? And uh, how is it that we know that uh, Israel is uh, still doing this? Well, we know this from a video that came out on Twitter. It was a video posted to Twitter by this Nazi group, the Azov Battalion in Ukraine, um, as is quite widely known. Um, a group called the Azov Battalion is uh, part of the Ukrainian military. It was since 2014 has been a formal unit in the Ukrainian military, um, and even though it got its origins as a group of street thugs who uh, took part in the 2014 coup against the elected Ukrainian government. Um, and, you know, these are members of the hard right. You know, this, this is a Nazi organization, but now it's, it's not like some street gang anymore. It's a fully armed military unit, um, although its numbers have been uh, presumably decimated in the current war that's happening in Ukraine. It's hard to know exactly with all the um, war propaganda going back and forth, but certainly um, they've taken some heavy blows in the war. But nonetheless, they're still able to post on their social media outlets, including Twitter. So um, they posted a video last week of them in an area that looked like Mariupol, we can't be sure, but uh, the, the city in um, southeastern Ukraine, part of the Donbass region. And they posted this video of, it's kind of a, a POV video, and it looks a bit like a computer game, you know, like, you know, one of them shooting computer games like Call of Duty or something. And it shows a combatant, presumably an Azov uh, fighter, holding a anti-tank missile, an anti-tank rocket launcher, um, and firing it at what is they claimed was a Russian vehicle, although it's hard to exactly see what they were shooting at, but certainly shooting an anti-tank missile. And it's got the weapon is quite distinctive. It's got quite distinctive features, and um, an Israeli journalist noticed it and named it as a, a, a matador, which is this kind of... Uh, anti-tank missile, which is it has a dual purpose of also being able to blow a hole, designed specifically to blow holes in walls, so that soldiers um, operating in urban areas such as the Gaza Strip um, can can invade a, a home uh, without going through a door, um, and then you know presumably be being ambushed or something like that. That's, that's what it was built for, and it's quite clearly the same weapon. And these are weapons that were might not necessarily have come from Israel, but were uh, jointly developed 
with um, the Israeli arms firm Raphael, which is a, a state arms firm, um, and 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 uh, with the German with the German arms firm and the Singaporean arms firm as well. So these are Israeli developed weapons, which are going to a neo-Nazi group in Ukraine. Yeah, and not only are these uh, Matador missiles have been used in Gaza, they're actually favored. They're particularly valued by Israeli soldiers, according to the Jerusalem Post, for doing exactly what you said they are used for, uh, breaking into people's homes to invade them. Uh, and then, with of course, with the intention of arresting the people and stealing their homes. So when we're talking about the uh, munitions company, the defense company that is providing these missiles uh, to Ukraine, um, what else are they involved in and how much are they involved in with arming not just the Azov battalion, but particularly with support from the United States? How widespread has this uh, uh, program been going on? And is this just a new kind of uh, relationship with the Azov battalion with the current outbreak uh, in Ukraine? Or has this relationship gone on for quite some time, Asa? It's been going on for quite some time. It's not a new relationship. And it's really, relatively speaking, in terms of the Israeli relationship with armed forces in Ukraine, it's relatively small compared to the overall support by NATO countries, by especially the US and the United Kingdom, and also Canada. They're giving far more uh, weaponry to Ukraine. And so because there's no real dividing line between the Ukrainian armed forces and this specifically Nazi unit, um, any weaponry going to the state of Ukraine, it has a, especially this kind of um, specialist weaponry, it has a high chance of ending up in Nazi hands. I mean, in some ways, it's quite similar to what the US and other European countries, other NATO countries did in Syria, where they were saying, oh, we're only arming moderate rebels in Syria. You know, we're just sending it to free Syrian army and, and uh, you know, other benign sounding groups like that, which which in reality didn't really exist. You know, the free Syrian army was just kind of a umbrella term. And where the weapons ended up actually going quite often was to um, the Nusra Front, um, later renamed as... Um, uh, you know, these um, basically these were Al Qaeda. These were Al Qaeda organizations. These were extremist um, uh, Islamist armed groups, terrorist groups, which were fighting the Syrian government and were used conveniently as proxies by the forces of US imperialism. And so, you know, what we're seeing here is the US the UK, Canada and Israel arming um, the most reactionary forces in Ukraine in order to promote war, essentially, and to promote their imperial interests in the country. And um, the, the relationship between Ukraine and Israel specifically is, is complicated by the fact that um, Israel has fairly good relationship with both sides of this war. So the Israeli government has got um, fairly good relations with uh, with Russia, and uh, you know, uh, as an estimated 1.5 million Israeli c citizens, Jewish Israeli citizens, have 
are Russian. You know, they they come from Russia originally, or they have some Russian heritage. They came from Russia, or the former Soviet Union um, in the early nineties and late eighties. Um, and so Israel's trying to sort of play both sides in a way. So it is arming Ukraine, but to a lesser extent than um, than uh, the UK is doing, certainly, for example. Um, but um, it is allowing these uh, this arming to go on. And it's also allowing Israeli mercenaries to go uh, to Ukraine, which is something um, I'm covering in an article that's set to come out soon. Definitely. And there's a, a deeper history here as well, uh, Asa, particularly when we talk about NATO, which from our perspective is um, directly uh, 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 in part responsible for uh, uh, what became Russia's invasion of Ukraine in terms of how the U.S. and NATO, of course, NATO being controlled uh, uh, by Washington and how they've been operating. But there's actually a whole history of NATO sort of a, a secretly uh recruiting Nazis and using them towards their own ends. And you recently published a piece about this on your Substack, asawinstonly.substack.com. And so I was hoping you could sort of break down this history of NATO's secret Nazi armies, which is uh, the title of your piece, and if you see a sort of connection between that history and what's unfolding right now in Ukraine. Yeah, there's definitely a big connection between that NATO secret Nazi armies in Western Europe and what's happening now in Ukraine. You know, it's um, in many ways what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening more specifically in our countries in the West, in Britain and America and Canada, is the kind of, represents the kind of ideological victory of that those Cold War era programs. This was known as Operation Gladio. It was essentially a network of international terrorist groups which were trained, coordinated and run by NATO, specifically by the US and by the UK primarily, um, with the the US of course as the controlling body. Um, and it, it's a really astonishing and under-recognised part of our history, you know, and, and I think current reality too. Gladio was a, 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 a network which spread from it reached from Britain in the West until Turkey in the East. In every one of these countries on the NATO side of the Iron Curtain, there were set up by the CIA and by MI6, uh, what they called stay behind armies. And quite these were ideologically anti-communist secret soldiers, essentially. And quite often they were recruited from the far right. More often than not, they were recruited from Nazi groups. From, you know, in the early in the early days when it was set up in the early fifties, these were quite often literal fascists who had been in Mussolini's regime, for example, in Italy, um, or, or, and who had been Nazis in, in West Germany um, under Hitler's regime. So, you know, and they. They, they carried out attacks on the civilian population. And these attacks were false flag attacks. They were deliberately set up to look like the work of the left in order to incriminate um, communist parties uh, in the West, to, to incriminate the uh, Italian Communist Party, the French Communist Party, and the Belgian Communist Party, especially because 
unlike in Britain and um, the the US, those communist parties were actually quite mainstream in those countries, and they came very close to winning democratic elections and getting elected into government. But the intervention of this secret Nazi army, Gladio, aborted those efforts quite often using clandestine means. So there's a really big history there, um, which is really still not very well understood by even the political left in the West. And um, Gladio is, it, it's important to remember, was organized under the auspices of NATO. So, you know, that's why I've described it as NATO's secret Nazi army and um, the historian, Swiss historian, Danielle Ganser, who's written, um, I'd say, the best book about Glasio, has described it as NATO's secret army. So it's um, it's important to remember that those efforts they never really ended. I don't, and I, you know, things. I think these kinds of programs have probably been renamed, and they work in different ways now. You know, the formal Gladio structures were said to have come to an end with the end of the Cold War, but there's no doubt in my mind that similar things still happen today. Yeah, that's a fact, Asa. And, you know, I have to ask, I think because a lot of people are wondering, why would Israel arm factions anywhere in the world for any reason that they know are neo-Nazis, that they know carry out or believe the ideology of the people, of the political regime, of the fascists that victimized their people in World War II. And and I think this goes to the question people have about Zelensky and the fact that he is Jewish and how would he allow uh, neo-Nazis to proliferate in the Ukrainian army. So, you know, what can you tell people about why Israel would arm neo-Nazis in Ukraine or anywhere else in the world when it would seem to go against the very ideology and tenet, the core of of the belief of uh, Israeli people? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that the answer is quite simply that Zionism, the Israeli state's official ideology, while it claims to be a defender of, of Jewish people, is actually not and has never really genuinely cared about anti-Semitism and has always historically been willing to use anti-Semitism in order to drive its settler colonial project within historic Palestine. Um, And another related reason to that is that the state of Israel, since it was founded on the mass graves of Palestinians in 1948, has, for the most part, and especially since the mid-60s, acted as an arm of U.S. imperialism. And so for that reason, Israel's arming the, the Nazis in Ukraine for the same reason that Israel has armed other reactionary forces around the world at times and moments when it's become inconvenient for the U.S. to arm them directly. So, for example, the Contras in Nicaragua in the 1980s, there was a period briefly when the U.S. Congress um, stopped the CIA from arming the Contras in their war against the uh, revolutionary government in Nicaragua, a left-wing government. Um, and Israel stepped into the breach. Israel and others like Saudi Arabia stepped into the breach. Um, and, you know, Israel's armed reactionary regimes all over the world, which quite often have um, far-right and fascist characteristics. And so, if you know, as long as it's happening away from them, if there's the anti-Semitic forces there, they're not particularly bothered about it. 
Yeah, that definitely seems to be the case. And, you know, Asa, I feel like the whole issue of Palestine is one of several that, you know, don't get anywhere near, you know, the amount of coverage as uh, the Ukraine war has up until this point. And I got to believe that that has something to do with the utility of the war in Ukraine, as opposed to, you know, Palestine, which is under this, you know, oppressive reality from Israel that is directly supported by uh, the United States, massively so, actually. And so, I don't know, for me, uh, particularly, you know, as a journalist from one to another, it just just really feels like what we see. And, and even if we look at how the, the mainstream media in the U.S. and the West has whitewashed uh, these neo-Nazis, I mean, it just seems clear that in this moment, we see uh, the corporate owned media platforms basically acting as a, a bullhorns for U.S. imperialism. That's right. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I can't help thinking when, you know, you, you're making this comparison between um, the attitudes of the media towards Ukraine and the attitude towards Palestinians. When I wrote this article about, the latest article about Israel still still is arming the neo-Nazis in Ukraine and this um, anti-tank missile in this video, I couldn't help be struck by the irony that, you know, um, the British government is, not only are you, al- are you allowed as a British citizen to call for the arming of Ukrainian armed forces, you know, whether they're... Uh, the Azov battalion or not, whether they're directly Nazis or not, not only you're allowed to, but you're actually encouraged to call for that arming. And the government is is arming Ukraine to the tune of millions of dollars. Um, and, you know, whereas if I was to call for arming Hamas with anti-tank missiles, you know, that would be probably be uh, uh, illegal. You know, a man was actually sentenced in December A British man was sentenced in December um, to a 16-week prison sentence, a a suspended sentence. He doesn't sound like he'll spend any actual time in jail unless he offends again. But he was sentenced to to this suspended jail sentence for wearing a T-shirt which had the Hamas logo on it, you know, not even for saying necessarily they should be armed. So, you know, we see the hypocrisy in play here. Definitely. Well, we thank you so much, Asa, for joining us today. We're going to leave it there. We're moved to a break here on By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. So please stay with us. By Any Means Necessary. 